The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Greetings, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad you could join me today. And coming up on today's program, Governor Whitmer finally unveiled her budget proposal yesterday, which outlines her plans to quote-unquote fix the damn roads, fund schools, change the tax system, and a lot more. We'll update you on what the plan is and what the likelihood is. We'll get some movement on this. My guest will be Susan Demas of Michigan Advance. Also coming up on the program, a conversation I recorded over at the Detroit Policy Conference last week with my friend Portia Roberson. She is now the CEO of Focus Hope, an important organization in our community. We'll talk a little bit about what they're up to, what their vision is going forward, and how we make sure that more people are ready to participate in this new economy here in Southeast Michigan. Stay with us for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Yesterday was an incredibly busy day. We had the mayor's state of the city address last night, but perhaps more importantly, we also had the budget address. State of the state addresses, state of the city addresses, all important because they outline people's priorities, the things they want to do. But when you actually have the budget coming out, that's where the rubber meets the road and we find out exactly how our elected officials plan on doing what they suggest they're going to do. And yesterday, we got a vision as to how Governor Whitmer plans to fix the damn roads, fix education, and a lot more. Joining me now to talk about it is Susan Demas, who, of course, is the editor at the Michigan Advance. Susan, welcome back to the program. Always a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, and I think it's it's fair to say that this uh, budget address was about roads, schools, and taxes, and everybody's got an opinion about this. Uh, and and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the reaction to this budget address in just a bit. But I think the one thing everybody wanted to know is how we're going to fix the roads here in Michigan, how we're going to pay for it. And seeing this sort of universal shock over the last two days that we might actually raise fuel taxes to pay for it is a little surprising to me, given that I, I think everybody recognizes we don't raise enough revenue for roads at this point in time, don't they? Yeah, um, I, I've heard some magical solutions like taxing kayaks. Um, some people who seem to think that um, we're going to make trillions of dollars in tax revenue off of marijuana and it'll solve all our problems, which would be nice. But, you know, that's certainly not the case in Colorado <laughs> where they've had this for a while. Um, it will bring in some money, but, you know, not $2.5 billion every year for roads. So, you know, um, I understand nobody likes taxes, but, you know, if if you don't like hitting potholes at some point, you know, you, you got to have the money to fill them. They don't fill themselves magically with, you know, wishes and fairy dust. Well, and of course, we're talking about a phased in increase in the gas tax over the next few years. Uh, what was she suggesting would be the immediate hit, of course, if the legislature goes along with this budget proposal? So her estimate is that the average driver would see $23 more a month under, you know, when it's all phased in. So, you know, I think somewhat like $250 a year, which is not chump change. Um, there are also plenty of studies out there that show that thanks to damage to your car and, you know, insurance rates and whatever, most people are paying somewhere like 
$600 to $1,000 a year in Michigan because of our roads. So it, you'd think that amount would go down, but you know, it's human nature to put off problems and to not want to pay more for anything. And, uh, you know, hearing a 45 cent gas tax increase, you know, doesn't probably make anybody real happy. It's just, you know, if you've got a better solution um, and a way to make that happen, I'm sure everyone would really like to hear it. Well, let's be honest, though. I mean, she wasn't suggesting that this is just going to be a tax increase and that's it. There are other proposals that would sort of offset some of those costs for some people here in the state. Uh, put a little bit more of the burden on on businesses, especially LLCs, so-called pass-through businesses, and of course, a repeal on the pension tax. That might be something that appeals to a lot of seniors here in the state. So while, yes, you may be paying more at the pump, there is a possibility that you might be seeing less of a burden tax-wise tax if indeed this is implemented. It seems like a, a real sort of tightrope she was trying to walk with this. Yeah. Um, and the other aspect is because the gas tax is regressive, it hits people at the lower end of the spectrum harder. Uh, she has proposed an increase in the earned income tax credit, which, of course, former Governor Snyder cut to cut ta- uh, so that he could cut taxes for businesses. Um, so that's supposed to really offset it for people who can least afford a gas tax increase. Um The problem is in a budget, you know, if you start taking out one piece and, you know, um, you know, Republicans don't like the EITC, then maybe it does fall too much on lower income people. So um, you got a lot of moving parts and this budget doesn't balance without all of them. Um, It's, of course, an opening offer to the Republicans who run the legislature. Um, But, you know, so far, the easiest thing for them to say on everything has been no. Well, that is the easy thing to do, but it doesn't solve the problem. Let's talk a little bit about the reaction to this so far that we have seen, uh, because as we mentioned, and we'll get into the, the education portion of this, because this all ties into it as well in just a little bit. But business groups are are sort of mixed. Uh, th- there seems to be a recognition from at least the larger corporations that uh, this is about making Michigan competitive. Uh, making sure that we're adequately investing in infrastructure. But the small businesses are the ones that are concerned about this. They think that they are going to be taxed at a higher rate because of the elimination of some of the tax uh, breaks they got under the Snyder administration, um, especially for LLCs. Again, these so-called pass-through businesses that are going to be again taxed, this Michigan corporate tax, which they weren't for the last few years. Uh, This seems like this is shaping up to be quite the battle. Yeah. And I mean, all considering... It's uh, about $300 million. So, you know, I think the governor has talked with other media and said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm willing to compromise on this if, if businesses want to help me with my gas tax. So she's already kind of used it as a carrot. But um, we'll, we'll see if how far that goes. I, I did find it interesting that um, Nolan Finley of the Detroit News, who is, you know, as conservative as the day is long, um, put out a column endorsing the gas tax. I thought that was significant um, because, you know, he's really not a fan of this governor at all. Um, and to me, that that shows that there is support amongst the business community because Nolan doesn't really go out on a limb um, on his own. And the Michigan Chamber was very uh, 
circumspect. Um, not <laughs> that's, a really a good, that's a good word for it. Yes. But, you know, definitely put out their user fees are the way to go. We want the legislature to come up with a solution with the governor, um, you know, which is not their usual Democrats, um, you know, are terrible at everything stance, which, you know, we're, we're very used to seeing. Um, and business leaders for Michigan were, was pretty strongly in support of at least the concept. But as you mentioned, um, it was the Small Business Association of Michigan that really came out hard against the S-Corp and LLC tax provision. Not really a surprise, uh, given the current president of SBAM, who's a guy named Brian Kelly, who actually wrote the corporate income tax for Governor Snyder, his former boss, when he was lieutenant governor. Um, but, you know, his constituency at SBAM definitely would be affected. Um, so, you know, we, we've kind of seen um, in the past, Gretchen Whitmer was kind of at odds with more of the traditional Republican infrastructure at the Michigan Chamber. Um, and she was doing a bipartisan roadshow with Brian Kelly for a while. Now the roles have flipped a bit. So, you know, strange bedfellows in politics. It, it does happen sometimes. <laughs> My guest once again is Susan Demas, editor-in-chief at Michigan Advance, michiganadvance.com. Uh, re- really, really great coverage of the state capitol, by the way, and and not just the capitol and what's happening there, but how it's impacting people around the state. Uh, Susan, you know, this budget is really a th- it's a 3.6% increase over last year's spending levels, which given the scope of the things that they're trying to fix is, is really not that big of an increase overall in terms of spending, a little bit outpacing inflation at this point in time. But given that we do have aggressive plans to invest in roads and also education, uh, this could have been a larger increase that they were asking for. Uh, Let's talk education for just a little bit. And I think this is important because there is a uh, a focus on increasing the bottom line for schools that typically have been underfunded on a per pupil basis. Uh, Special ed programs, things like that are going to be shored up in this budget. Where is that money going to come from for these education programs? Because they're still trying to find a way to, to fully fund public universities, community colleges, not have them take a hit, even though some of the school aid money is going back to K-12. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been a, a debate um, for the last decade or so. Um, you've got a lot of people in the education community that believe that the school aid fund should just be for K-12 education. And it's been used for community colleges for the 15 public universities. Um, Gretchen Whitmer, when she was a a state senator, was against it. And, you know, she laid down the same marker as governor. So um, but when you're when you're taking out that money, um, it's got to come from the general fund, which has been stagnant for the last two decades. So, you know, that's that's a real balancing act, especially since. You know, she does have some tax cuts in there with the EITC and the pension tax. So, um, you know, I I do think that if Republicans are not real receptive to some of her tax increases, that, you know, we may see the great $500 million for education, um, we might see that increase go up in smoke because, you know, the money just won't be there. 
Well, Susan, I, you know, one of the things and, and one of the things that they're relying on to have this money necessary, of course, is, again, this change to the Michigan business tax, again, taxing LLCs uh, and, and these S corporations at the same level that corporations would be paid. Now, one of the arguments being made against this and that's been made against it all for a long time reminds me of the whole death tax argument that this amounts to double taxation on these businesses. How is Governor Whitmer responding to that criticism uh, and what does she suggest she's going to do to make sure that that's not the case, that they are being taxed twice on the same income? Her argument is that right now they're taxed at 4.25 percent. Now they'll be taxed at 6 percent like um, bigger corporations are. So it's not a double tax. It's just increasing for, from 4.25 to 6. Um, you know, uh, I know that doesn't really uh, wash with the business community, the small business community. Um, but, you know, when you're dealing with um, the numbers in the budget, the increase of less than 300 million that it raises, all considering for taxes, that's not that much. I mean, considering the fact that businesses enjoy a more than $2 billion tax cut every year, thanks to Rick Snyder, you know, giving a little bit of that back in the grand scheme of things isn't that much. I mean, only two or 3% of the general fund comes from business taxes at this point. That's, that's shockingly low. Well, Susan, I mean, this delivers on a few campaign promises. If this budget goes through uh, in its current form, it would, again, put more money into fixing the roads, would increase uh, school funding, which is something that she said she wanted. Um, uh, but again, there's a couple of things that she's going to have to accomplish to do this. And and for people to feel like they aren't paying more, th- this has to be coupled with something more than just a, a repeal on the pension tax, which she also ran on. It seems the only thing that's going to make people feel better about spending more at the pump or spending more to fix the schools is if they get some reasonable rate reduction on auto insurance. And, and that's going to be the one thing that offsets whatever additional money people are paying. Where are we right now when it comes to actually debating this issue and whether or not there's any sort of consensus on how to approach it? Well, you know, as you know, that was a centerpiece of Mayor Duggan's uh, State of the City address yesterday. And it's a huge issue for him because obviously Detroiters pay, you know, some of the highest rates in the country. Um, And Republicans in the legislature have made it, you know, one of their top priorities. Um, It's the first bill in the Senate, which usually denotes the top priority. And it's going through the committee process right now. Um, The House has a special committee on auto insurance. So, you know, clearly they're trying to send the message that this is the term that something's going to happen. And, you know, Governor Whitmer has vaguely made commitments to, um, reducing auto insurance rates as well. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about some sort of a grand bargain of reducing auto insurance rates for um, gas tax increase or some sort of tax increase to pay for the roads. Um, it all sounds great in practice. In theory, in practice, that's a really hard thing to gel um, because you've got very different interest groups, you know, working on different issues. Um, You are trying to couple a policy measure um, outside of the budget with auto insurance and a budget that has to be done by September 30th or the government shuts down because it doesn't have any money. Um, And it's an issue that has failed for decades. So 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say that it can't happen, but I think the roadblocks are rather apparent. Well, and it does seem that this is all hinging on on some sort of, as you mentioned, grand bargain on this. This is the thing that's going to sort of grease the wheels so that this stuff starts actually turning. Based on your initial reaction, the not your initial reaction, but the initial reaction we've seen from legislative leaders, from business groups, uh, from the political parties. I mean, the GOP came out and said that, you know, the economy is going to come grinding to a halt. You expect them to say that. They don't want to see uh, an incoming Democratic governor be too successful. Uh, but it does seem that the people who are actually sitting in the chairs right now, the elected officials recognize they've got to do something uh, because status quo is not working for anybody. Nobody's happy. Do you get a sense that that we might be able to figure something out based on what you're initially seeing? Well, it's interesting. Um, pretty much all the Republicans um, said no way to the gas tax increase. But, you know, in their second breath, it was, well, yeah, we have to do something. It's just, you know, there's there's no plan that's been formulated on that side of the aisle yet. Um, the interesting thing is on her school's plan, there were a lot of Republicans who supported, you know, an increase, which, you know, spending more money is not necessarily something that Republicans like to do on anything. But, you know, a lot of their hometown school districts have not done very well and they get an earful from superintendents all the time. So, you know, everybody agrees on the problem. It's just, what's the solution? Um, and that's of course the story of government. Well, now we get to watch the sausage being made over the next few months on this budget issue. And, uh, hopefully we'll get some sort of resolution, uh, before the next fiscal year begins, which is always the challenge in Lansing. And we know you guys will be watching it, Susan. We appreciate it. Oh, yeah, that's what we do. All right. Susan Demas, we certainly appreciate your time. And again, for great coverage of what's happening up there at the Capitol, because this stuff matters to you. Michigan Advance, michiganadvance.com, doing great work each and every day. And Susan, we always appreciate you being with us. Oh, thank you. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me today. And, of course, this interview being recorded at the Detroit Regional Chambers Detroit Policy Conference. And I'm very excited to have joining me right now my friend Portia Roberson, who is now the CEO at Focus Hope. We worked together in the mayor's office for a little while and got to know each other pretty well there. You probably recognize her from her many, many appearances (laughs) on Flashpoint with Devin Skillian. Uh, Portia, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and this is quite a transition for you to go to Focus Hope. Uh, and, and talk a little bit about what attracted you to this job. I mean, this is an organization that's got its roots based in, of course, the conflict right. of 1967. Uh, it was there to sort of bridge the gap. And it's morphed into something completely different, really, in this day and age. And, and it's become a very, very important training program here in the Detroit, among other things. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it was started in 1967 after the 67 Rebellion. Um, absolutely, Eleanor Josidas and Father Cunningham saw the need to sort of bring the community back together and thought that um, starting Focus Hope was the best way to do that. And over the years, we've sort of done that, done the workforce, done the community advocacy, all of those things. And so in the last six months or so, we've sort of rebranded ourselves, getting back to our focus, 
um, as, as a workforce training um, place, but also looking at it through the lens of community advocacy and what is necessary in this region, how we best serve folks in this region. Well, I mean, the whole idea around this conference is Detroit 2030. You know, yep. what's it going to look like 10 years from now? And one of the things that we've been talking about forever is talent development, yep. right? Training people for the jobs of tomorrow. Focus Hope has been sounding this alarm Absolutely. for 45 years now, 50 years, 50 years, yep. 51 as a matter of fact. So I was now. born in July 51. of 67. Yep. So my entire life, this organization was saying we need to do this. Talk about scaling it up, what we need to do, because your organization can only do so much right. without a massive infusion of cash and facilities. Right. Talk about what you can do to actually help other people figure out how to do this right. So we start at, at the level of making sure people know that Focus Hope is there. Because as you said, we're 51 years old and, you know, I meet 18-year-olds who are out of high school who aren't really sure what they want to do but aren't really as familiar with Focus Hope as, they, as their parents might have been or as their grandparents used to be. So we're really telling them, listen, if college is not in your future, at least right now, there are other opportunities that don't involve necessarily retail or fast food, which is what people have a general idea about when they're talking about not going to college. They think that's the only opportunity. And we know skilled trades continues to grow, hospitality needs continue to grow as Detroit continues to come back. Um, and we know that they're going to need people to work in those jobs and you can make a decent living from those. So we are looking now at programs that speak to the jobs of right now and the jobs two and five and ten years out. So we can be a part of what is coming in Detroit. Well, and, and talk about, you know, the collaboration necessary to do this right. Because you can't have community colleges and organizations like Focus Hope and others that, that do this kind of stuff operating in separate silos. Right. How closely do you need to communicate about what you're each offering to make sure that we aren't overfilling one need and not meeting another? So I think one of the most important things is that those of us who are in this workforce training space are speaking to one another. We regularly meet and discuss what are we doing versus what they're doing. And I always tell all of my staff at Focus Hope, we don't need to be everywhere. We need to figure out what programs we have the best resources for that we do better than anyone else and focus on that, bring people in for that. And I have absolutely no problem saying that if there's somebody else that's doing a better job in a program that some young person is interested in, let me send them there. Let me not try to develop something to meet their needs that's not as good as the program down the street that's already doing it. So really saying focus to our mission and what kind of programs we should offer. Well, I mean, your organization obviously has to adapt as well. Right. Because, absolutely. again, as the economy changes, where we've got mobility changes that are coming. And the skill set necessary to work in the industry that has dominated this region for so long has completely changed. Absolutely. And I, How hard is it to keep ahead of those trends? Well, you know, I think um, the good thing, and certainly I feel it's good because it's new for me and it's new for the organization, is to look at what's the, at what's the future. I think there was a period or a time where a lot of organizations, Focus Hope included, kind of stuck with what we knew. And we realize now that that's not the best thing. We were training for jobs that were non-existent in two or three years, right? And so it really is now saying and being very candid and honest that like the automotive industry doesn't have that, you know, behemoth power that they used to have. So they really have to, you know, as we look at what they're changing into, electric cars, autonomous vehicles, how do we train people to go into that? Because that is really where people are going with automotive industry. You know... I do want to talk a bit about your background, too, though, because so much of this, especially when it comes to job training programs, jobs of tomorrow, I mean, there's an economic justice yes. argument to be made here, Absolutely. that there has been an underserved population uh, for a long, long time. You, of course, have a background in civil rights in the city right. of Detroit, making sure that companies are meeting their obligations when it comes right. to training Detroiters, right. getting the community benefits involved. Talk a little bit about 
that experience and how it translates to your new job? Well, I mean, that's the thing. One of the reasons that I was drawn to Focus Hope is because it was started as a racial and social justice organization, which is very much a part of my background and who I am. And so looking at those underserved populations, meeting them where they are, I think one of the things that we tend to forget is that we try to think of a career and rather than a job. And a job can lead to a career, but you got to get somebody in a door. You got to talk to them in a way they want to talk to you. You've got to listen to what they're interested in. A lot of times in workforce development in particular, we try to put people into jobs because those jobs are available. And I used to say at the city all the time that we didn't want to waste someone's time by putting them um, in a program where they were going to have to go up on a high beam to you know, build an arena and find out later on that they were afraid of heights. So yeah. it's looking at the talent. Or, or health care right. they're afraid of blood. Right. You know, exactly. Because exactly. those jobs are needed. So it's really about listening, first of all, to what the person is interested in and looking at what programs we offer that fit that. And again, like I said, if that person is interested in something we don't offer, um, we let them go somewhere else. So somebody needs an audio technician. I know, exactly. That's all right. So you guys have a training program and that, I'm sure. Or else right. I can help them out. <laughs> exactly. I, I can do that. Uh, so, so Portia Roberson, my guest right now, of course, uh, CEO at Focus Hope. Uh, talk a little bit about where you see this organization in the next few years. I mean, is there a growth trajectory that you want to be on, or is it more of a, a stay the course for now, get our program settled, uh, and, and reintroduce ourselves to the community? It's a little bit of both. So I would never say that we want to stay stagnant. We're always trying to grow, but I absolutely believe, you know, we did a strategic plan over the course of the summer, and we decided that we have, like, I would say four core missions and then an umbrella approach to that. And the four core missions are youth development and our Head Start, early Head Start program. Our children in our area, in this city, need a place to go. We know that early childhood education leads to success later on, leads to being trained in jobs that we're going to need in the future, right? So we have that program that is always fully enrolled, but we're always trying to figure out ways in which we can grow that program. We have our Food for Seniors program, which we've had probably since about 1967, mm -hmm. right? And so we have 44,000 seniors we serve within the region, so Macomb, Monroe, Oakland, and Wayne County. But all of that supplements and in some ways speaks to our workforce training program. And so, yes, we are looking at the programs we've been offering. We're looking at some of those ones where we know the need is there right now. Our trucking program, 12,000 trucking jobs in this area. You know, so I'm telling everybody, come through our doors. We can get you a, you, we can get you driving a truck. I have a story of a young man who came through our doors two years ago. He was homeless. He started, you know, he went through our program. He went to uh, our trucking school. Now he's making ninety thousand with plans to make a hundred thousand dollars next year. Um, it starts at forty-five thousand dollars with benefits. So for somebody who's not working, who's not really sure, who's twenty years old, um, uh, that's good money. Forty-five thousand dollars in benefits. My first is not job bad. made me twenty-three thousand exactly. bucks, and I thought I was the richest man <laughs> exactly, in the world. Exactly, exactly. So those are the kind of things that we know we have a need for right now. But obviously, we are keeping our eye on what's coming. One last thing that I, I want to talk to you about, and this is something my son participated in the Generation of Promise program yep. a couple of years ago and, and got so much out of this, met so many kids from different backgrounds, different cultures, and really was a, a life-changing experience for him. I'm assuming that that's still going to be a critical component of Focus Hope going forward. It is. is that sort of, you know, uh, interfaith, inter, interracial sort of... Absolutely. Meeting programs. All of those Especially programs for I listed are fall under the umbrella of community advocacy, empowerment, and that social justice piece. And part of that is still Generations of Promise, which is a very active part of our, our organization. And really getting people to talk to people who don't look like them or worship like them or love like them is a part of how we grow this community. So we're here today talking about Detroit in 2030. We don't do that without talking about how we talk to one another, how we um, live next to one another. Um, the city flourishes because 
because we start to have sometimes difficult conversations about difficult issues, but you don't, you can't say it's a comeback or a success story until people are willing and able to live and talk and worship with people who are different from them. Is it hard to maintain that sort of over umbrella over all your programs and to make sure that it is incorporated into that in some capacity? Yeah, I think there, you know, certainly there are some, some challenges with that. You know, you think about you really want people to get employed, so you really want to be bothered with the whole conversation about bias. Um, at the same token. But it but does I, help them in the workplace. It helps them with negotiating salaries. It. it helps them with absolutely, all these things. Absolutely, absolutely. And everybody comes to the table with biases, right? So if we put that as part of how you're learning how to go to work on time or you know how you're appropriately dressed for work, all of that is a part of the biases you're going to take into that job. And if you're going to be successful at that job, knowing some of those biases that you may have, um, will make you more successful because you'll be able to do some of the things you mentioned. Well, Portia Roberson, we certainly appreciate you being with us today. We look forward to to what you're going to do in the future and uh, what you're going to do with this organization. Focus Hope is critically important to the city um, and, and, frankly, to the region. So thank you for your time and your service. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate it. And this is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. And that's going to do it for the Craig Folly Show for this Wednesday. Don't forget another show coming up tomorrow. If you want to know how you can get involved or you've got a story that you'd like to pitch to me or an idea for something, send me an email. It's thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. That is the best way to reach me. You can send me your ideas, your thoughts, feedback. Of course, follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. Or even on Snapchat. Social media is a big deal, too. And if you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. Let them know that we're back on the air doing this each and every day. Well, the interwebs anyway. Thanks for listening today. Have a fantastic one, and we will talk again tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.